0: Amen. I we can work this out together, and the Holy Ghost will have his way. Amen. Psalm 144, verses 1 through 2. And we'll also read Psalms 1834, but starting with 144, verse 1. A Psalm of David. Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower, and my deliverer. Hallelujah. Amen, aren't you thankful for his delivering power? Amen, not only delivers me, but he also protects me. He's my shield. And he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. Psalms 18 and 34. Amen. Scripture teaches us that he teacheth my hands to war, so that a bow of steel is broken by by mine arms. Amen. Let's lay down our Bibles and ask the Lord to help us for the remainder of this service. And I again ask for you to pray on behalf of me if you can. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear and receive with meekness and gratitude word. I believe, God, that you have given me direction for this service. But help me, God, to have the correct expression, the compassion. God, the compulsion, Holy Ghost, as you want to minister and speak to this people. These are your people. God, and you know their hunger, their desire, their need. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. You could be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. It feels good in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm grateful, amen, for his presence tonight. Amen. I want to briefly do a review as we've done so far. And uh, I, I will do my best to keep it brief and uh, concise. But in the first lesson, we talked about The original, the first battle of Israel as they departed from the land of Egypt and they were in the land of Rephidim and uh, they were attacked by the Amalekites, the Amalekites, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, Depends on where you put the emphasis there, right? But uh, Amalek was known for their style of attacking and they attacked those who were vulnerable. The Bible says that they smote the hindmost, that all that were feeble, feeble behind them. When they were faint and weary, so they—they they, it was their style, it was their in their uh, their among their strategies to always attack those who were most vulnerable, those who were feeble, those who were faint and weary, and we learned that because of this. Uh, style of a uh, of warfare, this style of of battle that the Lord wanted to take the the Amalekites completely off the face of the earth, that He wanted to destroy them. The Bible says from under heaven, Exodus seventeen and fourteen says that. And uh, and but not to forget what they had done, not destroy them in the minds of the people of Israel, but uh, but to destroy the Amalekites. Don't ever forget. Amen. When the where the Lord has brought you from. Amen. Don't ever forget where God has delivered you from. Amen. Once the day that we forget, I, I remember I was in Colorado Springs for Amen a, uh, for a year and uh, learned a lot under Pastor Burgess out there. Love him to death. And I I got my most prized possession from him. Amen. Uh Sister Andriana Hilton, but but as I was worshiping one night, I looked over and I saw the tears coursing down one special lady's face, and her name was uh, Sister uh, uh, Johnson. I forget her first name. I was going to say her first name and I forget it. But uh, she she was just worshiping, and it was a it was a hot and heavy. I mean, you were up there kind of kind of like the last part of tonight. I mean, everybody's worshiping, dancing, popping, and juking and jiving, and and she was over there, hands raised, and tears just flowing down her face. And I and uh, I had the opportunity to get behind the pulpit immediately after that worship service. And I told the church, I said, church, I want you to look at Sister Johnson. She's over here in tears. Uh, and I want to tell you where those have come from. It's because she's never forgotten where the Lord brought her from. Amen. The day that we come to the house of God and we just accept it, take for granted what we feel and what what we're experiencing in the house of God, that's the day, amen, that we're going to distance ourselves from the Lord. Amen. But to draw nigh to Him and He'll draw nigh to us, the way to do that is to never forget where He brought us from. Hallelujah. Amen. That first battle in Rephidim, at Rephidim, was, uh, as I mentioned, the first battle that Israel had to fight. Amen. And the scripture teaches us that that Joshua received a mandate from Moses to choose out men to go out and fight, and the the phrase, the, the word Rephidim means uh, uh, um, stays or rests or resting places. Amen. This is just after they they are set free from the bondage of Egypt. The bondage, and we know that Egypt typifies the world, and the, their bondage represents the sin that binds us when we uh, when we're out in the world. But when we come to God, when we're set free, I mean, we find a place of rest. We find a place of staying. Uh, The Bible teaches us that the Holy Ghost is our comforter. Amen. He'll send the comforter to us. Amen. That's, amen, what Rephidim, in my uh, humble opinion, is representing in this passage. Amen. But it also could represent a state of being complacent, just being, uh, growing comfortable after being set free. And they grow comfortable in this situation. In fact, I've preached a message along those lines. And uh, and so uh, we got to be careful that after the Lord has set us that we don't grow too comfortable where we are amen but that we allow the lord uh, amen to uh, take us from Rephidim into a better place into uh, a promised land Rephidim was in the middle of a wilderness sister Bonnie amen not a lot of sustenance there not a lot of hope or promise there amen but there was beyond Rephidim beyond that battle amen was the promised land amen amen Hallelujah! Still in review. We're trying, Amen. And so Joshua received the mandate from Moses. Go, uh, choose out men. Go fight. That's Exodus seventeen and nine. Four bishop left. He issued me a mandate, and he uh, he asked that um, that we have good church. Amen. I every time we come to the house of the Lord, Amen. I that we and I. I want to say thank you to to this church body, Amen, I for being so faithful. I, I, it's it. You guys have made it easy on me. <laughs> I could just come to church and I could just bask in the glory of the Lord because there's some in this congregation, amen, that have already determined before they ever set foot, amen, and those that double glass, the, the front doors out there, that, that they're going to have church, amen, that we're going to see the glory of God that we're going to accomplish something, amen, in the house of the Lord, that we're not just going through the motions, amen, but that we are, we are going to have good church, Amen. And, and so thank you. Thank you for making this so much easier. Amen. And when Pastor gets back home, I, I hope I hope that we can maintain this momentum and, and go even higher and go even further. Amen. We've already seen a number of times. Uh, amen. I liked what Brother Nelson said on Teams the other day. Amen. This is the year of downpouring. Amen. Whenever, and I don't know if, how many of you have seen this. Uh, on teams or not, so I'll just share the testimony briefly. Amen. But Sarah, who was praying for the Holy Ghost the other night at the back of the sanctuary, uh, she's associated with Pastor Farrell in Smithville. She lives in Spring, uh, not Springfield, uh, Spring Hill, I think. Blue Springs, thank you. One of the springs. Anyway, up there. And so, um, and she met him in Sprouts. He mentioned this testimony. And I didn't realize it was Sarah. But anyway, she met him in Sprouts and saw that there's something different about him. So there's something different about you. And, and so he got to talking to her, talking to her about the Holy Ghost. And she decided she wanted the Holy Ghost. And, and so on Sunday night, he, before he got here, he texted me. He said, I've got somebody that's coming with a great desire to receive the Holy Ghost. And I said, brother, we'll be praying that God will fill it with the Holy Ghost tonight. And so she came, and you could tell. She got here, and she intended He said, I didn't expect that out of her. I didn't expect her to start worshiping and kneeling there and and let and moving like she was. And it was out of ordinary. And, and it caught some of us off guard, if, if you don't mind me saying that. We, we started, whoa, wait, you know, this is out of normal. This is not... And, and thank you, Brother Nelson, for being sensitive to the Holy Ghost and just allowing the Holy Ghost to flow. Amen. She didn't receive the Holy Ghost in between those pews the other night. But uh, I don't know if it's her husband or her boyfriend, but he did receive the Holy Ghost or re-infilling. He's had the Holy Ghost before. Amen. That night. But when she left, she told Brother Farrell, she said, I'm going to start a fast. <laughs> and she said, I'm not going to stop fasting until I receive the Holy Ghost. Well, he texted me Monday night, last night. And he said, uh, Sarah just got through speaking in tongues. She received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the year of the outpouring. Hallelujah. And we're just getting started. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The devil better, you better watch out. Hallelujah, because we've got our stopwatch going, and, and we're not going to back up an inch. Amen, we're going forward. Hallelujah, amen. The best defense, the best way to win the battle, amen, is a good offense. Hallelujah. I know some of you might have been downstairs on Sunday morning, but... Erica, at the end of service on Sunday morning, I mean, she was up here praying and and thank God for Sister Brooklyn and Sister Bonnie they are praying with her. Amen. Some others I'm sure. I, I may not have caught everybody that did. But those of you who are, who are sensitive in the altar service and are willing to go and step out of your comfort zone and go pray with somebody. that You don't know how much that helps them. When they're uncomfortable when they, this is out of their comfort zone. So when they feel somebody's support behind them and you're praying with them and you're praying for their need uh, then you don't know how far that goes. Amen. And we saw on Sunday morning Amen. when she was, I don't know if it was right here or right there amen but she testified to my wife uh, that she got the holy ghost or that she was speaking in tongues and my wife asked her if she was speak, she's ever spoken in tongues before and she said yeah but not like that amen so i i just choose to believe that the holy ghost is pouring itself out in this sanctuary in this place and it has to do with the faithful saints of god who've come amen with their minds made up hallelujah hallelujah we're not scared we're not intimidated. Amen. We're going to see victory. Hallelujah. 2024 is just getting started. Amen. Amen. Joshua, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 17, verse 13, that he discomfited Amalek. That word discomfited means to uh, to reduce someone to extreme physical weakness or to vanquish, to defeat, or to overthrow. But it doesn't mean that they were to totally annihilate. And so Amalek, as you if as you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see the name Amalek appear multiple times in uh, as enemies of the Lord's people, um, and the reason is because they didn't completely annihilate him. But I don't think that was, uh, we, we know that it was the Lord's desire to completely annihilate. Completely destroy them from under the face of the heavens, but we can see that this becomes a kind of an arch, arch enemy for Israel. That they continually face this challenge. These people who are taking advantage of them when they're vulnerable, taking advantage of them when they're weak and and uh, when they're tired, when they're weary. And uh, I think we can learn a lot from that. But I'm not here to talk about that. Amen. Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Against what? Against the church. Amen. Jesus said, I'm going to build a church upon this rock. The rock of the revelation of who Jesus is. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As long as we remain in the church, as long as we remain a part of his body, amen, that we will prevail. The enemy will never prevail. Hallelujah. We might, we might feel like it sometimes. We might feel like we're losing a battle. Amen. But he's not going to win the war. Hallelujah. We've got the victory. Amen. I heard one man say it this way, that we're not, we're not uh, fighting for a position of victory. We're fighting from a position of victory. Amen. That we've already got the victory promised to us. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, we began to talk about three of, of Sun Tzu's uh, maxims, the, his, what he uh, designates as essentials, For winning, he identified five, but I chose three of them. and And last week we talked about um, the first one, which was, "He will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight." And so we need to know. We need to know when to fight and when not to fight. We and then the second one. And uh, these are not like these are not like. Well, I hope he wins if this happens. No, based on his experience, based on his um, his years. In leadership as a general in, in uh, the state of Wu in China, he uh, he he's he's saying that I, based on my observations, I am certain, I'm confident that if you do these things, that you will win. Second thing that he stated, he will win whose armies is and whose army is animated by the same spirit throughout all its ranks. And the third one we identified, but we did not discuss, and we're going to discuss in further detail tonight, is He will win who prepared Himself, waits to take the enemy unprepared. Amen. We need to know when to fight, church. Amen. We need to know when to fight everything. We read uh, just last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 to everything there's a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven, time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to love and a time to hate. time of war and a time of peace. Pastor has said in the past, in the the same way that you can't reap when it's time to plant, so you'll never have peace when it's time for war. And as much as I want peace, Pastor goes on to say, as much as I desire peace, I do recognize that sometimes there really is a time of war. And that time of war not only exists, but it is sometimes in the perfect plan of God. Um, Sun Tzu stated that there is no instance of a nation. We, we talked about this. I'm just trying to bring to your memory and, and and get into our new lesson tonight. But there is no instance of a nation benefiting from prolonged warfare. Even for the winning nation, even for the one that has the upper hand, uh, neither side will benefit from prolonged uh, Uh, engagement it will only cost more and more and more amen with no um, benefit at the end and so we must be able and we must be willing to discern the time I know I've grown up in the Pentecostal uh, movement where it seems like they have a thirst for blood spiritually speaking and uh, the Bible actually talks about those who are who have feet uh seeking or, or running swift we'll talk about this a little bit later but to shed innocent blood and and perhaps this is not the same context but but I we should be careful we should not look for rock uh, spirits under every rock or under every pew or every under pillow amen but we should uh, we should believe that there is certainly a time for peace and that that should be our objective that when we fight that we're fighting with an end in mind that we're not fighting for the sake of fighting for the sake of wielding our spiritual sword. Or, or asserting our spiritual authority even. But we should fight to win. We need to understand that not every bad thing that happens in your life is an attack of the enemy. Bible tells us, Matthew 5 and 45, at the end, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This, it, it happens to all of us. Amen. Amen. But I do believe as I have said in the past, and I'll say again, that now is the time to fight. And again, I'll reassert that it is not the time to fight for the sake of fighting. But thank God for faithful saints of God who've come to fight to win. Who've come, even in, yeah, even in this service, not to just kick the can down the road, not to just go through the motions of another service, but to win the battle. Amen. Every service is a battle. Every service is is, is there are two uh, spiritual worlds at opposition. Amen. If you've listened, if you've been a part of the M M&M class, you've heard uh, Bishop Lambert talk about this, and I'm not qualified, nor do I want to even try to scratch the surface of what he talked about. But you need to just understand that that when you come to church, uh, Amen. You're a militant. You're a you're a you're a warrior in the pew. Uh, amen. And don't come to church uh, with your mind wandering over here and over. There, Amen. Thank you, Brother Nelson. Amen for bringing our minds together. When we come together in the unity of the Spirit, Amen. Then, then we will find the bond of peace. Hallelujah. Amen. That brings me to my next point: the unity of the Spirit. If we agree that now is the time to fight, we can only win if we fight together with the same Spirit. If we are going to become engaged in spiritual warfare, we should be unified by that Spirit. Uh, the Bible teaches us what that spirit is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Ephesians 4 and 3 tells us, Endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. I mean, you know what will bring perfect peace? Do you know what will bring liberty? Wouldn't it be amazing if we come into a service and there is so much liberty there is just a peace, and, and, and I believe we're getting there. I don't, think, I don't think we're a far cry from it. I believe that we as a church uh, are, have consistently come together closer and closer with every service. And the Bible talks about uh, uh, Jonathan and David. The Bible talks about how their hearts were knit Together, amen. These are men who knew how to fight together. They they grew up together. They become close friends. That's what we ought to learn to do, amen. Let's come together. Let's allow our hearts, uh, amen. To, yeah, that requires vulnerability to a brother or to a sister. They might have to hear about some some things that 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 we're not potentially comfortable with. Or and 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 please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not just saying you need to go and divulge everything that you know you know to your brothers and sisters, uh, amen. But it does require. a a sense of vulnerability, amen, to expose your heart, uh, amen, to be knit and tied together, amen. But if we do that, amen, then our vocations, uh, our gifts, our callings uh, will work in tandem to accomplish the will of the Holy Ghost, uh, amen. I didn't get a chance really to talk about this last week, so I'll just touch on it, amen. But if we want to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation at the Truth Church, then we've got to work together in the unity of the Spirit, The Bible teaches us that that the gifts, those diverse gifts, whatever, whatever those gifts might be, whether prophesying, working in miracles, to get to faith, all these gifts that are available, amen, they all come from the same spirit. And so if we're going to use those gifts, and we should, as an apostolic church in the 21st century, we should be operating under, with the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, I would go a little bit further and tell you, Amen, that if we don't, we're in grave danger, Amen, of of, of causing a vulnerability, a an area, uh, a gap, if you will, Amen, in a kink in the armor, if you will, Amen, for the church of the Living God. But if we're going on offense, if we're going into the enemy's camp, Amen, if we're going to see victory, we need. Amen. To operate with the gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Since I mentioned it, I will read it for you. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Skipping down to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues but all these work at that one and self say and the self say it's not you working it it isn't your ability it isn't your might your power your spirituality but it is the self-same Spirit, the one that is giving you the ability to do it. He's giving you the ability to do it so that He can accomplish what He will. Amen. I he says, "Dividing to every man severally as He will." Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I too often, amen, I people operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and then we set them on a pedestal. I know I've been guilty of doing this. I do this. I have done this. I should say. I don't intentionally try to do it, but it's possible that I'll do it again in the future. I don't know, amen. But it's it's important that we don't, because it's not that man or that woman. It's the spirit, the same spirit that you have, the same spirit that I have, amen. That gives them that impartation, as it were, amen. Do we ever, amen, tell a sinner that it's because of their good works or because of their good deeds that they receive the Holy Ghost? Absolutely not. That would be false doctrine. Amen. So I would dare say that if we're going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and it's not because of our works, then if we're going to operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost or the gifts of the Spirit, then that is also not by our works or our deeds. Hallelujah. If in fact, amen, today is the appropriate time, amen, to fight, I will say it as pastor says, I don't want to just fight, I want to win. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So we talked about knowing when to fight. We talked about the unity of the spirit, be animated by the same spirit, which is the unity of the spirit in in apostolic terms. But tonight I want to talk to you about the third maxim, which happens to come from Sun Tzu, but but we'll talk about it from scriptural uh, principles tonight. I mean, he will win who prepared himself, waits to take the enemy unprepared. Amen. First, let's, let's just deal with this second part, and this may be as far as we go tonight, and that's, that's okay. We should take the enemy unprepared. The devil thinks that he is brilliant, that he's the most cunning one out there. Amen, but the Bible teaches us that we are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We should use the tools that God gives to us to, to know and to understand the tactics that the enemy might use. We should study the word, the word of truth, amen, to reveal to us the enemy's tactics. He doesn't have any. In fact, I'll show you in just a minute that the the primary tactics, the, the pattern that he uses consistently over and over and over has existed from the very first instance. He doesn't he can't yeah he he doesn't have that creative power to create new ways of doing things. He has to operate within the confines and and the parameters that God gives to him. And so uh, we have the cheat codes if you will. We have the answers. We're not ignorant. It's the first tactic that the enemy uses is to place things in our minds that are not true. The apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said you better cast down your imagination. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. We're going to park out in this passage just for a little bit. And in bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. All that is important. Every word in that scripture is important in that passage. Think about, just for a minute with me, the lies that the enemy has, has already told you as a child of God. Perhaps it was about yourself, that you're not spiritual enough, that you're, you don't pray enough, or you don't read the Bible enough, or you don't fast enough, or, or you're too late for church. Yeah, I, I know these are practical things, but this is, you know, maybe I'm just projecting here, Brother Nelson. Maybe I'm just re- reading my own mail. And that's possible. Maybe nobody else struggles with these things. But, but the enemy will, will come and lie to you about you. And then he'll come and lie to you about others. Did you see the way that that person looked at you? Did you, did you, did you, did you see that smirk? Did you see that glance? you see the way you know and then you'll read beyond just a glance and you'll say oh man they just because of that one thing you'll think man, they don't even believe a word that you're saying hey i have been there so i know this happens (laughs) and 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 he undermines your confidence and when you're operating at the church or in in a spiritual context then guess what he's undermining the authority that god has given you all right then he'll lie to you about god maybe this is more consistent with young people but i've i've gone through it i've i've spent the time trying to understand and and do i really believe this thing or do i not do i want to live for god do i believe what they're preaching do I believe what they're saying? Because if I don't, what am I doing here? Amen. So the enemy will try to start inserting those questions in your mind, and the enemy will also insert lies about himself that he's too strong, that you can't overcome whatever sin that you're facing, that that you're that you you're walking. As it says in Hebrews, on the you're you're, you're stomp, stomping on on the the, the cross. I, I can't remember how the Bible phrases it in Hebrews, but talking about whenever He gave up and sacrificed for us, spilt His blood. That that you're basically stomping on that sacrifice. And then and then and and I can I I can go on. You fill in the blanks. What what does the enemy tell you? And and this is the first tactic that I want to highlight in in the pattern that the enemy has to follow. And by no means am I uh, asserting that this this lesson is comprehensive in any way. I, I do not have the, uh, I'm not the authority on spiritual warfare. You talked to Brother Nelson for that one. <laughs> or, or Pastor, when he gets back. What Was what Jared preaching true? You have full authorization. You don't even need my authorization. But you have full uh, access to just ask, hey, Okay, and then he'd come tell me if what I said was true or not. But I'm just telling you what I've experienced. I'm just telling you what I've gone through. I mean, I've been in this thing basically all my life, and I received the Holy Ghost when I was five years old. But that means all the trials, all the tribulations that I've ever gone through has come while I was a child of God, sitting on pews and, and all of that. And so I know it can happen to the best of us and the worst of us. And I'm not t- putting myself in any particular location on that spectrum. <laughs> but these are lies on the enemy up from the enemy. These are, did you hear what I they're lies? They're not true. We were singing this song earlier. That same old voice telling the same old lies. You think you're the first person he lied to? If you do, that's another lie. You're you're not. He's been around this thing a long time, and 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 so have some of us, and and we have enough experience to say, hey, guess what? You're not the first one. He's told that one too. He's not even good enough, Brother Nelson, to come up with new lies. He just he just repeats the same old. You know, have you ever been with somebody who's got you know the same two or three jokes? If you've been around me, you have. <laughs> What's brown and sticky? I don't even know if we're supposed to be saying that kind of, it's a stick, guys. Yeah, I've only got a handful, less than a handful. Uh, But that was a lot like that person. He's, He's only got the same old joke he could play two or three times. And once he's run out, guess what? He is out. I, I can tell some of you guys don't believe me. You you're saying that, oh, this is too easy. This is too superficial. No, I, I'm telling you the truth. I, in studying and searching the word of God, every every time the enemy has approached somebody, it has fallen within this pattern. And and so let me just help you out. We'll talk about uh Jesus was talking to some Jews in, in John chapter 8. We'll go to John chapter 8, verse 32. And they said, Jesus, we're the seed of Abraham. We're the, we're the Jews. We're qualified. You know, we've got, we've got prestige and experience, religious-wise. And, and so we know how to live for God. We know how to please God. And Jesus told them in this passage, in this context, that when you know the truth, then the truth will make you free. And they responded and said, we're the, Didn't you just hear us? We're the seeds of Abraham. We're, we're not bound. We, we haven't been bound for over 400 plus years. And the Lord said, Little do you know, you are bound. You are bound. They said, we aren't bound. We are the children of Abraham. Why are you saying we need to be set free? And Jesus responded to them with the following. In John chapter 8, verse 43, Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. He answers this question and then answers. He asks the question then he answers it. He says, you don't understand my speech because you can't hear it. Now the next question logically is, why can't they hear what Jesus is saying? Because he's standing right there and he's not talking about audibly hearing. Amen. But he's talking about in their mind and in their spirit. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? And then he goes on to reveal why they don't hear and they don't understand. Amen. It's because, verse 44, ye are of your father, the devil. Whoa. We're children of Abraham. He's our father. Well, another scripture just before this, he said, you would do the works of Abraham. If you're going to be the children of Abraham, you should do what Abraham told you to do. But you're not doing what Abraham told you to do. You're doing what your father tells you to do, and that's the devil. Amen. And, and he goes on to say, and the lust of your father you will do. He was, he was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Before we go into this next, uh, the last part of this scripture, uh, the context is that they're they're ready to kill him. They're ready to put him to death. And Jesus said he was the first murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's the one that inspired Cain to kill Abel. He is the first murderer from the beginning and abode not, and because he abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. Why is there no truth in him? John chapter 8, verse the last part of verse 44 says, When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a father sorry, for he is a liar and the father of it. You claim to be children of Abraham, but you're, you are of your father, the devil. You, you've been deceived. What, what Jesus is, is trying to get through to these Jews is that at some point, you started to believe something that was wrong. And But if you were children of Abraham, who Jesus was very familiar with. He said, before Abraham, I am. I, I, I know Abraham closer than you do because I'm with him right now. Amen." But he said that if you were the children of Abraham, then you would do what Abraham said to do. Amen. But because you don't, you're doing what your father, the devil, teaches you to do. And, 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 and furthermore, it's based on a lack or an absence of truth. I don't have the scripture right here for some reason, but Jesus said in another passage, I am the way, the truth. He said, "He said I am the way. If we cut out that parenthetical statement, he says, I am the truth. Not that I speak the truth only. He does speak the truth. But he says, I am the truth. So when you allow a, a lie to fester, in your mind, what you're allowing is the product of the enemy. When he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so, when you allow a lie, you don't even. A pastor said this, and and I'm I'm veering from my notes a little bit here, but I feel like just kind of honing in just a little bit here, if you don't mind, Amen. That 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 it doesn't even require you to speak the lie for you to believe it. All you have to do is hear it. And then you just hold it in your mind. It's just a thought. Never even materializes into reality until push comes to shove, which is what happened here in this passage of Scripture where Jesus is addressing the Jews. They're saying, hey, we thought we were the children of Abraham, and Jesus said, nope. You're not. You're not the children of Abraham anymore. You're the children of your father, the devil, because you're fostering these lies in your mind. You're holding these things that are not true. If you want to be the children of Abraham, what you need to go back is find out the truth. If you want to be my children, I am truth. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, I friend, this is a tactic the enemy likes to use. You know why? Because it's so successful. Amen, I because he has confused and deceived so many with this pattern. He starts off with a little thought. He says, maybe even just a question, Sister Lydia. Is that true? Is that right? And then it grows from there. He speaks a lie. If we don't intentionally cast aside those lies from our thinking, then we'll no longer be able to understand or, as Jesus said, even hear the truth. God's word. The enemy of our souls is a liar. And he will intentionally cause you to believe his offspring. And if he can't achieve that, then he'll be happy to convince you with merely believing, uh, merely not believing the truth. Bishop has said in a previous message, Lies are not only something that are that is said. While that's a ma- that is a manner of spreading lies. Lies sometimes are heard and simply believed without ever questioning its veracity. So it starts with our imagination. That's the pattern. It starts the devil inserts a question, inserts it into your mind, and. Innocent, right? There's, there, It hasn't really become anything. hasn't materialized anything. It's just a thought in your mind. But if we don't cast it down, then it can become something more. It can become, it can lead us to a state of confusion or even deception. The more lies we compound in our mind, the further we drift from the truth. And the more confused and yea, even deceived we become. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, back to our semi-text, if you will, (laughs) for this portion. Casting down imaginations, and the Bible tells us, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. This... Second phrase in the passage that we just read in your hearing, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. We're going to come back to this probably in, in the next lesson. But I want to focus on the word against. Because it the word, it says every high thing that exalted I don't know what high thing is. I don't, I don't want to dig into what. Uh, and we could talk about how you know, Lucifer the Bible tells us that he exalted himself above God and and he in his own first and initial sin, he illustrated this pattern that I'm describing for you tonight I mean, but again I don't want to get too sidetracked what I want you to understand is this this word against now in the English when the translator chose the word to use the word against it's really a common Term in Greek. It, the word against is kata. It only had two syllables, so I thought I'd chance it. But it appears in other scriptures with these other translations. 61 times it is translated as according to. Now, that doesn't sound like against. According to. In other scriptures, it's translated as after. 58 times. 36 times it's translated as in. 27 times it's translated as by. And then 11 times it's translated as as. So, if you will allow me, let me just kind of re, re uh, I'm not going to rewrite the scripture, but I'm just going to rewrite it with those other usages here. The Bible says, in other words, uh, not the Bible, that's that's my, what I wrote, in other words, it is possible to translate the scripture as the following. Every high thing that exalteth itself according to, or after, or in, or by, or as the knowledge of God. It's a, it's a thing, a high thing, a thing that exalteth itself as the knowledge of God, or a could you help me? Uh, could you allow me to uh, try to? And and I could be completely wrong in this. This is all Jared, okay. But but I think it might be possible that what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey is that these high things they come in in a in a way uh, to to deceive as though it were the knowledge of God, but yet it is merely just a high thing. We're going to talk about high things later on, but high things in this passage uh, uh, do not necessarily uh, denote a, 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 a good thing. But these high things are exalting themselves, the same way Lucifer did, exalting itself, esteeming itself, propping itself up as if it is the knowledge of God. It's, it's, in the first phrase, that cast down imaginations and those things that exalt themselves as though they are the knowledge of God. If you don't get, get it taken care of in the first phase, if you will, then the next phase is it will mature into this thing that's that's like, you can't really tell the difference between truth and error. You can't really discern whether or not what is, this is right or is this wrong because it's been in your mind for so long it's been it's been grounded it's been settled a little bit and so now it's it's established itself it's asserting itself as though it is absolute truth so if we don't take care of it if we don't cast it down if we don't do um what we we'll talk about in just a few minutes, bring into obedience to Christ. Then it has the potential to to mature, to go beyond to a state where you no longer control it, where you no longer have 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 the control over that thought, but it has it's become its own thing. I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about this, and I don't want to devolve too much, but uh, he's a clinical psychologist, and he he studies these sort of Things and and he talked about how a habit when whenever you build a habit, it it establishes a neural path in your mind and in your brain and physically. There's a literal. There's a literal. Uh, groove as it were in your brain and and you begin and the more you do it the more it reinforces that thing and the more the more it is embedded within your brain and 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 then he further went on to say and I don't know how true this is and just repeating what I've heard but he said it, it kind of takes a life of its own where it starts requiring and mandating you to to follow the, the routine. And if if you don't, there's there's consequences. It will it'll give you it'll give you uh, it, it'll 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 and, and I'm not qualified to talk about all this, I'm just, just trying to bear this point home, and, and maybe that's sufficient for the point. But but this it, he did also say that that when you try to root it out, perhaps it's a bad habit that you developed and you want to get rid of it. It's a bad thought that you've established and it's embedded itself and you want to get rid of it, then, then you have to establish another habit. Or Thing that can, or or mechanism that will uh, that will combat the original one, and then those two will be at war for a period of time, until the until whichever one you support the most will win. I, there's there's so much here. I, I I'm slowing down too much right here, but but it's important that we that we understand. Uh, I mean the implica- the implications of, of a mere thought. Once it's embedded, once it's established, there's a concept that many of you, I'm sure, are aware of. It's, it's called confirmation bias. You, 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 you start, you think something, and then you see things. And it may not even be related to what you're thinking, or, or it has a loose connection to what you're thinking. But because you're, you're, you're the, the notion preexisted what you saw, it confirms what you originally thought. And it just reinforces and it. it gets into this vicious cycle. And you could be completely wrong and not even realize it. Believe me, I've been there. I have been there many, many times as a young, uh, arrogant, ding-dong boy. But thank God for his grace. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, that God is not the author of confusion. But notice the next phrase, but of Peace as in all churches of the saints. God is interested in establishing peace where confusion once reigned, where, where, where deception used to be the rule of the day. God says, I want to bring peace to all of that. God will do it. That's the other mechanism, if you will, that can combat whatever false ideas. I mean, if you allow the truth, if you believe the truth, Jesus said the truth will set you free. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how long it's been ingrained in your mind or in your spirit or in your life. It doesn't matter how many. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Amen. It doesn't matter how many generations in your family you've dealt with this. Amen. Amen. That God's truth, the only truth, the absolute truth, has the power, amen, to deliver you, to set you free. God is not the author of confusion, but he, he authors peace. Hallelujah. Both of these tactics I described, I mean, this is probably about as far as we're going to go, Sister Tori, amen, so you can start working on something. I'm not going to go past nine o'clock. I did last week, and I, I'm determined not to. Both of these tactics that I've described, beginning in your imagination or, or thoughts, Graduating into confusion or deception were used on Eve in the garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, I don't know who told the devil, but apparently he overheard it at some point, what God said. Because he he nearly quotes him, verbatim, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And Eve, she knew what God said. Her husband told her. She, he wasn't pulling the wool over her eyes. Somehow, just asking this simple question, began a chain reaction in this woman's mind. Seemed to be an innocent question. Genesis chapter two, 3, verse 2, the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit, tree, fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest he die. And the serpent, so so that's the thought. It began with that thought. But then verse 4, the Bible tells us that the serpent said unto the woman, in direct contradiction to the word of God, ye shall not surely die. Then he kind of starts there, and then he covers it up with his last part. He says, for God doth know that in the last day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The serpent, the subtle serpent, starts with the thought. Starts with the imagination. Did God really say that? I didn't hear him. It came from Adam. Maybe he misunderstood. And then it graduates to this... Direct contradiction to what God said. Mixing just enough truth into his words. The serpent deceived Eve, and she ultimately disobeyed the command of God. How did she end up there? I'm sure as soon as she did it, she said, Whoa, wait a minute. Oh my God. I can't believe I did that. How did I cross the line? How did I? How did I get here? Started with that simple question, imagining what it would be like. Thinking about it. This is the one that I'm not allowed to. Heard it from Adam, just started thinking, and devolved into complete deception. Eve had heard her husband give her the judgment for disobeying. She knew that death would be the result of her disobedience. She knew it. But somehow, she glanced over that simple statement, ye shall not surely die, and began to focus on, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I don't even know that that even happened. I don't I. I'm not scholarly enough so those of you who know you can inform me later but what I do know is that clearly she was infatuated with this idea that she could become as a god and know good and evil and that was more important than God's direct command. And so she allowed it allowed herself to become deceived because she wanted that. Bishop has taught extensively on the subject of... The realm of submission. Talked about how in order to get, and you can come, Sister Tori, when you're ready. um, You want to live for God. You want to live in the kingdom of God. Then you've got to be obedient. The moment that you disobey, you move from the realm of submission to the realm of disobedience. Or realm of rebellion, I I think is the term he uses. So this is what the devil wants us to do. He doesn't want us to be a part of God's kingdom. He wants us to be on his side. He wants us fighting his battles. He doesn't want us fighting for God's side. And so, it's easy for him. Come in and insert a little thought. He's been doing it for ages. Start, start with a little thought. Start, start with this nagging thing of something you saw, something you heard, something you believe even, or something somebody told you, something, you know, maybe just something you felt. I don't like the way the music was. I don't like the way, you know, whatever. I'm not... I'm not saying anything specific to anybody. I'm just, just giving you ideas to, to attach to this. Then it goes from that imagination, whatever it is in your mind, without any other basis other than just your mind and the lie of the enemy. And it goes into a, a, an exalted thing you begin to play. Every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul advised the Corinthians that they should bring the thoughts. Oh, brother, it was an innocent thought. I didn't mean anything by it. I don't even know where it came from. Yeah, but it's your thought. You have to deal with it. Yeah, I understand. It didn't originate with you, but now it's in your mind. You've got to handle it. So bring it into obedience to Christ. Jesus said, in John chapter 14, verse 6, this is where the scripture was I quoted a minute ago. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the, unto the Father, but by me. He didn't say, I have the truth. I speak the truth. He said, I am the truth. If you want to bring your thoughts into obedience to Christ, you have to obey him. You have to obey his words. You have to obey the life that he lived as an example. And when you do that, when you replace those lies, With the truth, it eliminates all room for any deception, any confusion. This is how God designed us. He wants us to fall in love with truth, so much so that we don't even give a a, a passing moment. The moment enters your mind, "Ah, it's not true. Oh, I I feel the Holy Ghost here. He might be ministering to some of you tonight. I know he's talking to me. Bring your thoughts. Bring your accusations. Bring your vain deceits. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If you allow God's thoughts, if you seek out earnestly the thoughts that he has, the mind that Christ has as he walked on earth, listen to some of the things that, that, that he tells us that you, that you ought to be thinking. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil. To give you an expected end, you know it's determined. There's no confusion. There's no deceit. You have an expected end. That's how I'm thinking. That's how you ought to be thinking. Philippians 4 and 8, one of my favorite scriptures. I told my wife that I memorized it the other day, and I quoted it in the truck, and I was going to try to quote it to you guys tonight, and I'm going to read it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brother, what sort of things are, what's the first thing he says? True. You, you got to think of what is true. That's where it all starts. You allow just a little lie, just a little little thing and friend I know it's easy to do it's I, I'm guilt, I'm telling you I'm guilty of, I'm gonna have to hit the altar amen just like every one of us I have to prune it out of my mind every day but God help me to think on what is true and if I don't know enough to know whether it's true or not let me just get it out of my mind until I know what is true Oh, why don't we all stand together tonight? Hallelujah! Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, good report. If there's any virtue. If there's any praise. Think on these things. Those things which you have both learned, and received, and heard and seen in me can you throw this one up there philippians 4 verse 9 the things that you have learned this is how you know what's true how you know what's honest just pure lovely and of a good report with virtue and praise it's the things that you have learned how do you learn it's it's you have to have an open and an honest heart you cannot you can't you can't Hold on to it for the sake of, well, this is what I've always thought. This is what I've always believed. This is what what we teach new converts, church. We still have to have a spirit to learn. We still have to have a spirit to receive. We still have to have a spirit to hear. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. That's where we'll find peace and liberty, victory. If we can eliminate the lies of the enemy. Let's all lift our hands to the Lord tonight. Thank you, Jesus. God, forgive me for every lie that I have entertained. I pray that you would search my mind, search my heart, search my spirit. I want to please you, Jesus. I want your word, God, the word of truth, hallelujah, to be hidden deep in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus, I love you, Savior. Hallelujah, I love you, I love you, I love you. Hallelujah, I love you. Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus.